You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Flocks. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. Do you know how many sheep there are in Australia? Secondly, do you know which country in the world has the most sheep? Well, Australia, according to the 2013 statistics, is the country with the second highest number of sheep in the world. China ranks highest with 175 million. Australia has less than half that, with 75 million. That equates to three sheep for every person. India has the third highest number with 53 million, Sudan with 52 million, Iran with 50 million, and then, surprisingly, Mongolia with 30 million. The collective noun for sheep is the same as for birds, flock. The Bible has quite a lot to say about sheep, and in some instances likens humans to sheep. Now, some of you might have heard me say in the past that I grew up in the country on a farm. We had sheep. My older brother and sister had a pet sheep. Now, what qualities are sheep known for? By and large, they are innocent, peaceful creatures, herbivores, that is, they eat grass and other vegetation. Also, they tend to be gregarious, that is, they like to have each other's company and are usually found in groups, called flocks, of course. The third characteristic is that they tend to follow a leader. One particular sheep we had was an old ewe. Where she would go, the others would follow. One time, when we were driving the sheep from one of our properties to the other, they had to sh cross a shallow creek. None would venture into the water. My dad grabbed the leader, you, and dragged her through the water. Guess what? All the rest went through the water without any trouble. In Australia, sheep are driven from behind, often with the aid of sheepdogs. In the eastern countries, sheep follow the leader, the shepherd, who is responsible for the care and protection of his sheep. Jesus likened himself to such a shepherd who cared for his people. In John chapter 10 and verse 14, Jesus stated, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Here Jesus stated beforehand 
how he would die for fallen humanity. When you think about this, would a man normally die to save the life of a sheep? Well, that's pretty doubtful. But the analogy highlights that Jesus as God, the superior being, gave up his life to save inferior beings, humans, and sinful ones at that. Just recently, my wife and I were watching an episode of the Antiques Roadshow. One person brought along some small items, including a wristwatch that looked like it should have been thrown in the rubbish bin. The dial was unclear and all yellowed with age. The glass appeared to be scratched and the metal band had seen better days. The, the appraiser commented, about the poor condition of the watch, but then noticed several other features, including its age and make. It was an early Rolex watch, and then he surprised everyone by saying that at auction it would fetch about 7,500 Australian dollars. Now this raises a very important question. How does one determine the worth of an item like that old watch? An animal? Or, for that matter, a person? The simple answer is that something or someone is worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. Jesus said he would lay down his perfect life for his sheep, the sheep being sinful fallen human beings. His glorious life for our inglorious lives. It doesn't seem to be a fair deal, does it? But us fallen beings are considered by God as worth everything. The everything in this case being the very life of Jesus. This very point is illustrated by the parable about the lost sheep, and it's found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 12, 13, and 14. What do you think? asked Jesus one day. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety and nine on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Why would God go to such great lengths to save sinful human beings who do stupid and evil things? The answer is simply because he loves us. Yes, he loves you, and he loves me too. And he is not willing that any of us should be lost because he wants us to be with him for eternity. In what Jesus said, as recorded in Matthew ten fourteen, he stated that he has other sheep or other people not of this sheep pen, 
usually referred to as a sheepfold. Who are these other people? I believe he's referring to those with honest hearts who haven't yet identified themselves as his followers. Some of these people haven't joined any church and haven't made any move to become part of the Christian community. But they will. If you haven't yet come out and re revealed yourself to want to be part of God's people, I hope you will, and that soon. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, the Christian community, otherwise known as the church, is referred to as Christ's body. And here's what it says. God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, if the church is Christ's body, we have to consider our own bodies to get some idea of what the church means to Christ. So the question is, how do you care for your body? Yes, I know that many people do all sorts of things that ruin their health and their body suffer. But when they get ill, what do they do then? Well, most seek medical help and do practically anything to regain their former health for their bodies to get better. It is a wise thing to follow known good health principles if you want to care for your body. But in the sense what the Apostle Paul had to say in Ephesians 1.22, he reveals that Christ cares for his body, the church, and does everything possible to guide and nurture his people. Now when I refer to the church, I'm not referring to any particular denominational group although I believe that God's true people will belong to a Bible-believing, commandment-keeping, Christ-centred church community. The church refers to the community of true, honest, Bible-believing Christians wherever they are. Did you notice I said Bible-believing Christians? There is one thing that is of great concern to me, and that's about Christians who pick and choose what they want to accept from the Bible. Some hardly ever use their Bibles, and many who identify as themselves as Christians completely disregard the Old Testament, claiming that it's not relevant, or that it's merely a collection of man-made stories with moral overtones. My friends, that idea is complete nonsense. The Old Testament provides the setting for the new. It tells of how God dealt with people in earlier times. It proclaims his care and justice. It also tells about Jesus. And there are at least 350 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. 
Jesus himself referred to and quoted from the Old Testament. He believed the Old Testament and reprimanded the Jewish leaders for their disregard for the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. If you have felt that the Old Testament is of little value, I believe you're very mistaken. The Old Testament is an integral part of the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. If you put yourself up as judge by eliminating any part of God's Word, you are in effect saying, I know better than God does. And that's a very dangerous course to follow. Now, I want to share with you an interaction between Jesus and the Apostle Peter. This took place after the resurrection and was also after the time when Peter had denied the Lord. Peter felt ashamed and was disappointed with himself because of his insincerity. We're going to stop here and have a little break and go on straight afterwards. God sent his son They called him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive He lived and died To buy my pardon An empty grave is there To prove my
life's final, final war with pain. And then, as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know. So what did Jesus say to Peter? Well, I'll read it to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. It says, When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to Simon, Son of Jonah, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Now, Jesus wasn't referring to actual sheep. He was referring to metaphorical sheep, people. Here, Jesus was especially commissioning Peter to not just being a fisher of men, but a keeper of sheep. In other words, he wasn't just to be an evangelist, leading people to Christ, but someone who cares for those who had already accepted Christ and had become Christians. Some people have made a very interesting observation regarding the interaction between Jesus and Peter. You may remember that on the night before the crucifixion, Peter denied Christ three times. In his denial, he said he had nothing to do with Jesus and didn't even know him. Now Jesus was getting a commitment from Peter that he would do what Christ wanted and that he did know him and that he was the saviour of mankind. The book of Acts records a number of occasions when Peter boldly proclaimed Jesus as the Christ and where people were converted. On one of our farms, a neighbour's dog came to our property and savaged a number of sheep. They were torn and bleeding and I think some of them died, and this is not an uncommon occurrence. Dogs belong to the wolf family, or kind. In other words, dogs are varying forms of wolves. 
Wolves and sheep are not a good mix. Wolves are carnivorous predators and will attack and kill sheep. The one thing that surprises me about the tax on the attacks on sheep is that a savage dog or a wolf that attacks sheep doesn't stop killing at just one. One would be more than enough for a meal. Like would happen with the dog that got into our flock of sheep. They kill and kill and kill. It's just like the fox that managed to get into our neighbour's poultry farm one night. It killed 300 chooks, or chickens is the modern term, and left them there in the yard. God's church, his people, are subject to attacks because that enemy, Satan, is like a wolf that wants to kill and destroy that which and who is good. No doubt you're aware of the saying, a wolf in sheep's clothing. That means that someone may appear to be quite innocent, but in reality they only want to spoil things for others and, if possible, take advantage of them. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus gave a stern warning to his followers. He said, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. It's my strong opinion that God's people and God's truth are under constant attack. Previously, I mentioned people who claim to be Christians who accept only certain parts of the Bible, making the claim that the parts they don't accept are only moralistic stories and are not based on actual people and events. And in particular, I refer to the account of creation and the account of the worldwide flood. To me, those people are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are only interested in destroying the credibility of God's word and replacing it with other ideas. And then there are those who interpret scripture to suit themselves. Such people may teach that God's holy law, the Ten Commandments, has been abolished and that it's not necessary any more to keep the holy seventh-day Sabbath. Then there are those human wolves who make up stuff, usually of a sensational nature that the Bible does not teach. Examples of this are the doctrines of the secret rapture, an ever-burning hell for the wicked, theistic evolution, purgatory, no devil, and the false teaching that no one can be saved unless they speak in tongues. Besides Jesus, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter also warned of false teachers coming into the church to wreak havoc. And here's what Paul said, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. With so much rubbish that's presented as truth, it's a wonder that anyone can know and remain faithful to God and the message of salvation. That prolific Christian writer E.G. White has penned the following, Satan is ever on the alert to deceive and mislead. 
He is using every enchantment to allure people into the broad road of disobedience. He is working to confuse the senses with erroneous sentiments and remove the landmarks by placing his false inscription on the signposts which God has established to point the right way. The church must and will fight against seen and unseen foes. Satan's agencies in human form are on the ground. Men have confederated to oppose the Lord of hosts. And my comment is, how true is that? The dog that mauled our sheep ran back to where it lived, several kilometres from our farm. My dad recognised the dog and I went with him to the neighbour, where dad demanded that the neighbour destroy the dog because it was a killer. And in the spiritual sense, my friends, that is the fate that awaits those who destroy God's work among his people. God will in the end destroy them, whether they be evolutionists, atheists or even church ministers who fail to teach the truth. When God has cleansed the earth with fire, and after he makes all things new, his people, his flock, will live in harmony and peace. It is my intention to belong to those for whom Jesus gave his life, those who want to serve and honour him, those who stand by, teach and live the truth. More importantly, that is my hope and prayer for you as well, that you, as part of God's flock, may lie down in green pastures and be led to still waters and share in the beautiful, physical, spiritual and social environment God has planned for you to have. So that's it for today. Until next time then, this is Len signing off and wishing you peace and hope and joy to the very maximum.